Just before we get started, the Second Act Podcast would like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on Treaty 7 land inhabited by the Blackfoot Nations. This includes the Siksika, Pikani, and Kainai. We would also like to acknowledge the Sutsina and Stony Nakoda First Nations, as well as the Métis Nations and all people who make their home on Treaty 7 land in southern Alberta. But now that we've paid respects to people that were here before us, let's start the pod. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Second Act Podcast, and today's guest is just a really inspirational guy to follow and listen to. I'll have to be the first to admit that I had no idea who Sean Cairns was when he was suggested to me by uh, by a friend, and <clears throat> I got looking into him, and I thought, this, this guy's got a wild story, and then as I started talking to a few people that I thought may know who he is, they were just blown away that Sean Cairns would be on the Second Act Podcast that... He's done so many cool things and his, you know, his influence is so wide. Um, they were just shocked that he's still just out there doing his own thing. Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, when you listen through the pod, like, you kind of get the feeling you're glad his mom and your mom aren't friends because all the stuff that this guy's doing, whether it be with his film or his snowboarding, he's just doing so much with his life. And it's, it's really, it's just incredible to listen to and to uh, follow along with him. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I uh, I have to admit, there's a, a bunch of the stuff that he that he did. I didn't uh, you know even know about. Like when he talks about being the first person who's not a major studio to be able to post uh, content on on iTunes for videos, you know, and he's talking about the the hills he had to climb to do that. And then you know he talks about having the whole world by the tail and it not being everything he thought it could be. And I mean, he spent a, a bunch of time doing a bunch of other things. And I think that's part of the really cool uh, part of his story, how he's just doing his own thing right now. And I don't think any of the trappings of his previous success weigh on him at all. He's figured out a life that is happy for him and works for him. And I think it's a really good one. But without any further ado, let's kick it over to Sean, because nobody else is going to tell the story better than uh, Sean Cairns. Hey, how you doing, man? I'm doing really well and uh, really excited to have the opportunity to sit down and talk to somebody who has done as many things as you have. Um, uh, you were presented as this kind of skateboard, snowboard, adventure sport, video uh, filmographer pioneer. But as I looked into you, man, that uh, that was just the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of things that you've been uh, you've been involved with over the years that uh, that keep your profile up high and allow you to do some pretty interesting things. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know what to say about that except that. Yeah, definitely diverse. I would say that in the in the in the psychology world, they, they, there's kind of a joke. It's like I've got range, meaning uh, you know, holy shit! Like, wait, what do you do? So I, I really actually have a problem with that not a problem. I have a hard time when anybody says, what do you do? I'm like, Oh, fuck. like that's, that's, I, I guess the answer is, I don't know. Cause you know, that's the truest answer. Cause I, I do lots of different things. And even when I'm in doing certain things, I'm still doing so many other things. It's just interesting. I don't, I don't even know what to say, except uh, if I was to die tomorrow, I often think, well, you've lived quite, you, you've definitely done the thing that there's a cliche about like, you know, don't, I heard something last night, actually, it was awesome. It was like, the one thing you'll never see is a U-Haul following a hearse. And I was like, and I was like, fuck, that's brilliant, man. Like, that's true. Like you don't. So, so in experience, I'd say I'm very wealthy and rich and uh, in, in, in other ways, not so much. 
Well, it's it's actually uh, I had a podcast with a gentleman who who found some success very early, and then when I met him, we were as a, as a group of men, and I'd, I'd never met him before. I didn't know who he was, and somebody in the in the group asked what he does for a living, and he took a deep breath and he kind of what do I do for a living? And I knew in that moment, I was either going to hear the greatest story ever or the biggest blowhard in the world try to tell me that some insignificant thing that he does is the coolest thing ever. And, and I, I feel like you're kind of on the opposite of that when people ask you what you do and you're like, I have so many things that I do. I, do, I can't distill this down to just one thing. So I'm going to give you some answer that kind of gets you off my back and allows me to carry on with my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I definitely, uh, well, it's funny, even right now, I mean, to be fully transparent, I would say even for myself, more, I would say I have less focus of of what I'm doing right now, even for myself than I've had in, well, in a long time. Like I know the direction I'm going in um, and what that looks like is kind of what I'm working on in my life is how do I show up and, and then let go of the outcome? Because as soon as I try to put my claws in, too tight everything starts to uh rattle uh and not so there's definitely something i'm here to do and at this point in my life i'm kind of open more to what that is and being guided whether it be universally or spiritually or whatever you want to call it um but just it seems when i try to take control uh of the situation it seems to get pretty rattly does that make sense to you at all oh i I can definitely understand that and it takes it takes uh, a reasonable amount of self-awareness to be able to arrive at that and understand that the cause and effect there could be um, the strangulation that that your your attention puts on some situations. Oh, dude, yeah, for real. Like, oh, it just it, it's just pretty funny. The whole, you know, uh, if I go after some, it's really it's a really weird thing to show up and. Really, I believe a person, my belief is a human being has to show up. And what I mean by that is you got to show up, man. Like you got to, you know, you got to step into it, whatever that looks like. And meaning, and so I guess basically what I mean by that is like you got to do the basic stuff. Like you got to get up, you got to hydrate yourself. You got to, you know, do the basic owner's manual shit that's in the glove box for every single human being, I believe. I believe a lot of people don't even read that. And so I got to do that. And then, and then kind of like be willing to kind of like, okay, and then kind of navigate with where the general direction leads me. And man, what a, what a trip it is right now for me to see how easy everything goes when I let go and how hard everything goes when I hold on. And I'll be, I'll be straight with you right now. It's not easy. Like right now I don't got it all figured out and it's like, holy shit, man. Yeah, this is real. Like this is you know, I'm, I think I'm trying to do something that really scares the shit out of my nervous system, which is let go of complete control and let go of the outcome. I mean, I've, I think I've produced, I I can't remember the exact number, but it's, you know, somewhere around 20 or so films and, uh, and produced and directed and created or whatever, somewhere around there. And to bring those to completion, like that's a, that's a big part of it, right? Like you're, you're, kind of have this vision and you see how it's going to look in the end. And so for me to let go of the final edit <laughs> yeah. is pretty, yeah. So anyway, that's kind of what I'm, where I'm at right now. And the, the, it sounds all good and, oh yeah, I'm following the universe, but I got to tell you that 
the social norms, the, the, the myth of normal or whatever that's coming in and, and is that I'm supposed to, you know, I'm 53 years old right now and I'm supposed to have all the stuff. Well, I had all that stuff when I was 39. And so it's really interesting to, to, I'm having this really weird opportunity to kind of let go and see where it leads and everything just flows. Like even talking with you, how the fuck am I talking to you? And that just happened by me hanging out with a friend and this, and this, this, this feels good. This feels great. Um, and then when I get go and get stressed about, I still have this underlying driver that I need to make $10 million and need to have 15 houses and all this shit. Well, I had all that. So why it's just interesting. So I'm just trying to be as transparent as possible to be like, even after all this growth and all this, all the stuff that I've done, these courses, the stuff there's still, and and I think this is it. It's like there'll you'll never get anywhere. There's nowhere to get. You weren't broken. There's nothing to fix. You'll always be able to learn. You'll always be able willing to grow. And the best I can do is bring myself back to center and be like, okay, right now I'm all right. Like here I am talking to you. I'm okay. So well, and that's a that's a level of of comfort and awareness and and uh, you know ha- happiness or contentment that doesn't. That, that is harder. You, you can't just arrive at that. I, I don't think the people that do probably are downplaying that journey. And and you talk about, you know, I, you sent me the list of, of some of the work that you've been doing on yourself over the last six or so years. And, and there was 55 plus entries on there. And I, and I added up the hours you put into it. And I, when I got to 2000, I was like, okay, that's a full time job for a year in the, uh, since like 2015 or whenever those, those, courses he started keeping track of them so i'm like since that time he's put a whole calendar year into this into this journey but but obviously you don't start there i mean you talked about shooting and releasing these videos and at some point you were just a a kid who who wanted to get out and, and do the 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 snowboard skateboard live that lifestyle so talk about that version of sean and and what kind of led you down that path because like we talked about a little earlier um, I think that that kind of path is something that a lot of people think they want to do and think they'd be really good at. And oh, yeah. Yeah. very few people do it and excel at it. And you were one of them. So so talk a little bit about that kid and, and kind of when you knew you might be able to do something like that. Yeah. Holy shit. Uh, no, that's a great question because, um, you know, the must be nice. I've heard that a few million times in my life. Right. And, um, and, like yeah even kind of like i just said there i'm like man this shit ain't fucking easy sometimes like at night i'm sitting there fucking shaking going what a loser um you know there's all these things i should be doing and could be doing um and i uh have have at this point in my life experienced uh that that um doing what i should be doing leads to an an endless pit of despair <laughs> Cause it doesn't seem like it's ever enough. Um, and then, so how I got on that was what happened was, and I actually, uh, when I was young, I skateboarded, skateboarding saved my life single-handedly. I'm starting to see it more and more every day because what happened was, so I'm 53. So when I was skateboarding, it was 70, you know, I think I started skateboarding when I was eight. So that's, that's what 76 is the first time I saw a skateboard that that shit wasn't even existent except Canada's oldest skateboard park just happened to be down the street from my house. And, um, and so I basically 
grew up uh, with a very uh, a tumultuous childhood, to say the least. Um, I used to say I never had nothing. We had nothing because I did grow up on powdered milk and and boiled chicken necks and stuff. But fuck that, I did have something. I had powdered milk and boiled chicken necks. You know what I mean? And my mom. My single mother of three provided for us. So it's it's bullshit that I didn't have anything. Uh, it's scarce. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also got to learn that you can survive on powdered milk and chicken necks or whatever it is, you know. Um, and then I was skateboarding just uh, – I've actually been – are you familiar with the term somatics, somatic therapy? It's like it's like the newest rage, and it's basically like the body therapy versus the head therapy, and how they get come together. So, basically, skateboarding, from what I everything I can tell, basically helped me reprogram my body to being okay because it got me out of my head and into my body because a lot of that shit that happened and the craziness was up in here. And then when I started to skateboard, there was a way for me to actually have movement and to to feel my body, even when falling, you feel your body. I'd feel my body and be like, bam, okay, holy fuck, I'm here. Okay, that's huge. Like that's, instead of it just being, I mean, I'd rather take a gnarly skateboard slam than live in my head any day. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, and then, uh, and then I ended up snowboarding kind of came along and I was, so I was a sponsored skateboarder. And when it came to the time of being pro, there was just I just wasn't I there's no way I was gonna take the slams you need to take to be pro and I just I just I just wasn't I wasn't I wasn't capable. I did not not interested. Like you gotta take full full fucking top I'm talking mostly vert skating, big ramps and stuff. You gotta take full top to bottom slams to go go pro and be okay with it. I was not fucking okay with it. So uh but then I found snowboarding. And snowboarding was like, I was like, are you kidding? This is a joke. It's you landing in this white shit. And so I just kind of went into that. And then, and then to lead to your question, what happened was I started competing in it a little bit. And then, but then I was like, and I also owned a, I owned a bicycle courier company when I was like 18 or 19. I'd started, this is when it was new. I was bicycle couriering in Vancouver and I started this company. I've always had a natural entrepreneurial streak. So I was doing that. But then I was like, no, I, I'm going to follow this this snowboarding thing. And something that led to that was as I was a bicycle courier in Vancouver, um, I started to notice that there was a, there was a that very early age, I started to notice there's this message that I'm the dirt bag because I'm the courier. There, and there, the, these people going up and down in these boxes – were the the people we were striving to be except i very physically very much saw that these people did not look happy or alive to me and to me i looked alive and happy and i was like what i didn't understand i i didn't understand at the moment what it was and um and so then i was like and then the snowboarding thing started to grow and then i just had this feeling and sense in my body like you got to go do this you got to you're good at this. I, I I think in my first snowboard contest or one of them, I, I placed in the top three or something because for a for a, a good skateboarder, it was almost like cheating. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and then uh, I went in there and then um, and not only that, but also the community people were traveling to contests and stuff. So there was just so much, and it felt so good in my body. And because of skateboarding, I knew what feeling good in my body felt like. So. I was like, this feels good. This feels right. There's community. Um, 
uh, you know, this, this, we're not supposed to do this. This isn't, this is crazy, you know, whatever. So anyway, um, and the, the, so then the, this is, this is, there's something I wanted to say to you is like the information, like the last thing I want to do is just talk about fucking me for an hour and a half and then just like, okay, great. We know more about this fucking guy. And what I like to do is actually, if at some point you and I could create some kind of a resource for someone, because I have some stuff that I think is really important and be able to say, okay, here, you heard my blowhard story or whatever, but at the same time, here's some stuff at the age of 53 of I've found that really makes it fucking easy life better for me. So um, I just want to say that at some point, so we don't just end and it's all about two thumbs over here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but that's part of the equity you have to build with people in order for the lessons that you, that you've learned and, and you, you know, the things you would like to impart upon the people that take the time to listen is you have to give them the, quick and dirty of why it matters. And you have to tell them those stories, I think, Sean, in order for the second part, which I'm all ears about, and I, I love the idea of it, um, for it to stick. People have to go, this guy really earned these lessons, right? Yeah. Well, it's actually funny because I just realized right now as as it's like, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's about to happen right now. So here's what happened is, and this is the lesson. The lesson... Um, the lesson here that leads into it is, so then what I did is I basically had this courier company making money, whatever, living with my mom in an apartment in North Vancouver, like seriously riding from North Vancouver all the way across Lionsgate bridge, then downtown couriering all day. And then back up second Narrows bridge back up, like, like next level shit. And, uh, but at the same time, I was like, I was, I loved it. It was awesome. Um, uh, three and a half years I careered in Vancouver with no helmet on. I don't know how the fuck I'm still alive. Anyway, so, um, and, uh, but anyway, so then I'm like, no, I got to go do the snowboarding thing. So I, I was like, okay, fuck, you're moving to Whistler. Like you're going for it. And some of my friends were kind of good at snowboarding and stuff, but they didn't. And I was like, no, you're going for it. So I, I'm like, I'm moving up there. And, um, and so this is the, the lesson here is, so I think a lot of suffering on our planet, I think a lot of suffering, I know it has been for me, is that to be able to feel like, to believe that I'm free or to have a, to be free is to be able to do whatever I want, whenever I want. And actually for me, the only time I've ever felt free is when I've been fully committed. And so I fully committed to becoming a snowboarder. So, and the freedom that came in that was all the stories and everything else disappeared. How are you going to make money? How are you going to do this? How are you going to do that? There's the freedom. I'm committed. I'm going to do this. I am going to try and support. No, I am going to support myself doing what I love to do. That's That was what I was committed to. And what I love to do is to snowboard. Now, what I didn't realize then and I realize now is being in nature, immersed in nature is is it's it's not doable for me other ways it's it's necessary for me um so anyway i took off to whistler and did that and uh and and was a pro snowboarder and very quickly became part of a community because of my skateboarding roots also picked up a sponsor and then i was sponsored by santa cruz snowboards for oh i don't know six years or something like that and then and then um I also was super, super good at drinking, and uh, just to 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 for for people to tell me I had a drinking problem, I'd say that's an incorrect statement. I'd say I could have been an Olympian. 
Um, <laughs> unfortunately, the downside to it was, you know, uh, you know, deterioration of body, mind, and soul. So um, then I ended up not having the the strength inside me or the courage to be a pro snowboarder because it was more focused on partying and whatnot. Um, and then uh, a friend of mine approached me and he wanted to make a movie that would rep- that would help Canadians and and help promote Canadians. It really came from the American filmers coming to Canada. And, um, and, and we would notice that a lot of the footage that we had would not show up in their movies. So then my friend, Sean Johnson, who's very passionate and a force of nature in and of himself was like, I'm going to make fucking movie. And he knew I was an entrepreneur. He said, can you help me with this? And we ended up uh, making our first snowboard movie, uh, which ended up being, um, a little bit of a well, a cult classic, for, but it was not ever meant to be that. It was just that we had more booze footage than snowboard footage, and we had to fill 30 minutes. Right. So we did that. And then and then eventually, um, I feel like I'm talking a lot, but that's what I'm here for, I guess. Uh, 100%, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to get it out of the way. Anyway, so what I did is I basically, we did that for a bunch of years. We made those movies, Sean and I, and then we split. Um, and then I ended up knowing inside me that I had this ability that to, that when I go after something, I can go after something. I, I know that I can commit. So I committed, I'm like, I'm going to fully commit to making, to becoming a snowboard filmer and making these films. Now I know how to make them. And then I ended up, um, working with the biggest production company, which was Mac dog productions. They were by far, and this is, this is before internet, right? So, yeah. you know. Uh, so this is, this is like more, more relatable would be, well, you're old too, I think. So probably more towards a Warren Miller style where there was like only one real company for each of these things. And, uh, Mac, there was a few then, but Mac dog productions was the big one. And I ended up working for Mike and then they approached me after like very short time, a year, I think I was working freelance. And then they said, will you make this? forum movie for forum snowboards and then everything just started just taking off you know it just took off my career took off and i took it i don't like to say seriously i made it important in my life and i didn't fuck around and then i surrounded by i I was surrounded by other people who had goals of being the best they could at something which this is a really important point all the addiction stuff disappeared because there was a passion something i loved and wanted i wanted to be part of this more than anything and it just disappeared because it didn't mix with what we were getting. So that's really interesting um, to, for me to, if I surround myself with people who have likewise um, goals, journeys, things, and, and it doesn't have to be the best drinker in Whistler, uh, you know, uh, things start to happen and they start to go. So, and then it just kind of, then I kind of realized I'm like, holy shit, I'm like, I'm kind of good at this business stuff. Like I just have a natural sense for, negotiations and and uh win-win is a bottom line for me i love win-win so i can pull sean johnson i was just talking to him about three months ago and he's like i don't know how the fuck you do it but you'll be in a shit situation with someone like a studio was charging us all this money to edit and he goes you, you just go in there and next thing you know not only is the bill cut in half but now we're creating three more projects with them so it's just natural for me to take a shitty situation weave it together and spit out a better situation for everybody. Um, and, uh, 
So anyway, that was kind of happening. And then Mike McIntyre, who owned MacDog Productions, asked me to run his company. So I did that for a bunch of years. And, you know, at that point, we were selling a hundred, hundred plus thousand copies of any movie we made at that point. Um, now, that doesn't sound like a lot in the world of downloads and stuff, but you're talking the world of pe where people actually bought shit and it wasn't free footage. It was like, no. So we're selling these things for... We were selling these things wholesale to distributors for fourteen dollars US, and their cost of two they cost a buck fifty to duplicate. Plus, we had sponsors paying us to make them. So, if you do a hundred grand times ten, <laughs> right, and then plus we already had like a quarter in quarter mil in the bank or whatever it was, two hundred sponsorship. There's money there, and yeah. a lot of money, and then interesting so then we're, we're like okay we're, we're printing money and uh the other thing that was really a sick bonus in those days was i worked a deal where i would get a flat salary my expenses paid and then i would get a cut on tapes and then so i'd get these checks for like fucking 48 grand us which would then convert to 70 canadian because the dollar was 1.5 <laughs> and i'm just this fucking kid with no education whatsoever and just stacking and then and then the film industry and hollywood and the, everything was becoming interested in snow fashion was becoming interested in snowboarding and i was the fucking top you know at the top of the at top of the food chain and um just by by definition i was at the top of the you know that and the whole action sports world was really a bunch of filmmakers like Volcom. You're familiar with Volcom, those yep. guys. Um, uh, uh, the surf, like all these guys were coming. We were all Taylor Steele, who was the surf film guy. Like we were all coming up together and we were making fucking films with software and computers that couldn't handle 1400 clips and would crash halfway through the final edit. And you'd be like, what the, f like it was hell. Like we paid our dues putting that shit together and then licensing music. What the fuck's that? And then, um, so as we go through all these growing patterns, I would then go, my entrepreneurial side would be like, well, I better start a music licensing company. Oh, I better start a, and, and I better start, I better, oh, we better do this. Oh, oh, I'm noticing that I'm making all these athletes famous and they're becoming really rich. Well, I better start a management company so I can help them guide them and also make a bit of money on the side too. Like, cause I'm also putting, you know, so I would just, I, the, I'm the, I, consider, I, I became kind of the reach around king, I call it. Cause I was just like, well, I'm, and it was all win-win. We'd all be moving forward. But at the same time, I was doing the reach around on everything. And it was fucking hilarious. Cause I'm like, there's nothing wrong with that. If I'm able to do these multiple things at one time, what's wrong with me getting a piece along the way, especially if it's serving them as well, right? So long story, like I stopped working for MacDog. I started the management company. Roberta Roger was helping me. JP Walker, who's a snowboarder, like all the, you know, it was pretty easy. That's what it was. I was using all my, it was um, my history. I was using my, uh, yeah, my history to help me go into places that are easy for me to go into. So it was easy for me to snowboard, film snowboarding. And that's why I became desired to film with because the snowboarders knew that I knew what it was like to be them. Right. And that's kind of like a, an, a, an overarching thing of my life is that I, I, I fall, I go into relationships where we might, we might know a little bit of what it's like to be each other and build on that. Um, so 
did the management company and then the management company uh, and uh, basically became more about babysitting athletes. And there's a big learning quotes because what I'm really good at is I'm an agent. I'm really good at negotiating and then being done. Whereas Roberta was great, who was an ex-pro snowboarder. She was great at managing and helping the the day-to-day of people's careers. Um, and still to this day, I don't think people will understand how much her care of helping with accountants and things like that, both of us would help them their longevity in life versus blowing it all out the tailpipe like a lot of us did. Um, anyway, in that time, Burton approached me to make a movie for them because they had just acquired Forum Snowboards. And at the same time, um, I was running the management company. So you could, And at the same time, I also had this uh, – well, he was kind of an employee, but I'd say more of a partner. Uh, his name was Jim Martin, and he was on the East Coast, and he would help me license music. And, um, and so we would do, so I kind of, we had a music licensing company, had a management company, had a production company. And then, um, a a curse I have is I usually see things about three or four years in advance that, 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 and it's actually a blessing and a curse. It's like, I see what's coming. And what I saw was that the DVD and VHS market was going to crash. It was, and the internet was coming up. And then I was like, okay, so what do we got to do? I'm like, well, we got to line with a distributor online, like a digital distributor. And this is years before anybody was even downloading shit, buying shit online. This is like, we started, so we started, I approached my friend Jim and I said, let's, let's, we need to, we need to fucking go after Apple. We need to get this shit on iTunes. And, um, and so, dude, and this guy, Jim, Jim is, is, is fuck. Uh, you've never met. A, a more dedicated, smoother motherfucker on the face of the earth <laughs> when it comes to talking. And he is, his intention's true. And he also can make shit happen. And so sometimes you got to maybe bend the truth a little bit, or you got to make stuff happen, or you got to ship a box to someone when they stop getting interested. You ship them a bunch of hoodies and they're still stoked. Whatever it is, you just make it happen. We were both very much of that belief that, that just keep going, man, make it happen. Like keep it going. And uh, so we approached Apple for 14 months. Uh, like he was relentless, and we just went through. We went through person after person, category, business, and fucked it. It, it. That's a that's a book in and of itself because we would get so deep at some point, and then they would just be like, "Who are you?" And we'd have to like, "Oh fuck," and then pick it up again until 14 months later. And this is about 2006. They granted us. Uh, when I say Apple, I mean iTunes. And what it was, was we wanted to make it so we could sell this movie on iTunes. Well, Apple does not, did not at that point deal with um, pro- uh, anybody independent. They only dealt with studios. So you imagine, to give you an example, let's say the music with, let's say Sony owns Rolling Stones Library. Well, they didn't want to go talk to Keith Richards fucking Mick Jagger, all those dudes, and then go talk to label. They're like, no, 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 Sony, you either give us your catalog for 99 cents or we're done. And so then Sony would go have to deal with all the, they're called, it's called the publishing side and the label. So Sony's the label, the artist is the publisher. So, (laughs) so we kept on going to Apple and Apple's like, why the fuck are we even talking to you? Because you make your little shit snowboard movie for a million bucks. Well, we're shooting an episode of fucking Lost cost twenty two million, and we're selling it for a dollar ninety nine. 
why the fuck are we even talking to you? And you're little, there's not even a, you know, what, who are you? Why are you bugging us? But we played it really well, shipped a lot of boxes to Apple employees from Burton, kept people like, why the fuck is everybody walking? There's more Burton shit here than, than, because we had to go ahead from Burton to help get on iTunes. They wanted this movie on iTunes. So we were greasing people basically, and it, nothing wrong with that win-win, right? And, um, I don't know why you need a fucking snowboard jacket and Cupertino, but whatever. Anyway, so uh, finally they ended up giving us, they're like, well, okay, we can't put you on privately. So we're going to grant you a studio. And we were the first private ever to be granted a studio with iTunes. So we, we had this studio, which was like an aggregate for people to get on iTunes. So we just kind of kept on doing what they said. And I had this company called Infamous Entertainment. So all of a sudden it became Infamous Entertainment Studios. And all of a sudden, all of my competition became my clients because they had to use me to get onto iTunes, which that went over smooth. And, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and also, there was also another thing that happened, which was kind of harsh at the same time it had to happen because they were making, a lot of people don't know this, they were making videos for 20 million and then sell them for a dollar nine. They're like, the best we're going to do is we're going to put you in TV shows. We're going to sell your movies for a dollar 99. Well, we're selling those things wholesale for 1499 distributors around the world. So overnight we just said yes, because we just want, we knew once we got our foot in, we hoped once we got our foot in, we'd then be able to navigate higher prices, but we got in. And so basically not only at one point did, did a big chunk of the industry become our clients, my clients, they also, learned that they were going to have to sell their fucking videos for $1.99. I became the host, most hated man for a while there. I got some pretty rough calls and I just told the truth and just said, this is fucking what we're trying to do and this is the future and just hold on for the ride and it's going to, it's going to work out. But it was rough there for a while, for sure. So anyway, at the tender age of 38 or something, I ended up having a contract with Apple and my partner and I, well, he was my employee, but partner, whatever, uh, basically kind of had made it at that point we figured it's like okay like and it was really small in the beginning but started to grow so it went from being like nothing in 2006 to like by i think 2011 it was like there was there was uh it, it's kind of a long thing but there's millions of dollars there basically coming in going out all kinds of shit international tax withholding tax had to learn all this shit like it kind of kind of blew up so then I kind of semi, I think, retired around then because I was like, okay, well, I'm retired and I'm going to, you know, I have a bunch of houses and a hotel and a bar and I'm going to live on the side of the ocean and and uh, life's good, right? Bought my dream house on the side of the ocean, a right-hand point break and figured this Apple thing was going to pay for the rest of its life and all that kind of shit. And it was awesome. So awesome, in fact, that I fell into the deepest, darkest depression uh, and basically every thing that had gotten me to that point uh was it was like now working against me it's fucking weird man it was weird it was like like i'm supposed to be happy now and it was the complete opposite so um and what that i got i'm even shaking right now even thinking about it man like it's it really uh it's a fucking scary I'm going to start fucking crying. It's a scary place to be when you achieve, when I achieved everything I thought was going to make me happy. And I was 
more terrified than I'd ever been and more depressed than I'd ever been and more fucked up. And I was like, like uh, the scariest day was when I have all this perfect stuff happen. And then I'm just like, you know, I have wake. I'll always remember this one morning and surfed the perfect wave, jumped in my perfect truck with my perfect dogs, drove to my perfect house on the side of the ocean with my perfect girlfriend, with the perfect boobs and the perfect boat and the perfect this and the perfect that. And just being so depleted and, and, and empty and just like, what the fuck? Like, that's a scary thing when you have, like, I kind of reached the top of the mountain that I think a lot of people, this may sound arrogant, but fuck it. Like I reached the mountain. I reached the top of my, my top. Right. And, and, you know, it's like, oh fuck, it's not up here. (laughs) <laughs> and and then what I think I'm up to right now in my life is yelling down back from the top of the mountain going it ain't up here yeah yeah that's <laughs> you know? it's crazy to me as you go through all of that how you talked about like it's you know lots of people when they get in those positions like there's no playbook for it so they kind of are are doing what they think is right and they're getting some advice and, and things are going and they eke their way and that's like it doesn't sound like like you say you you kind of had a, this uh, knack for understanding that you kind of played yourself into these roles and sometimes things would not go exactly as planned but you had the ability to negotiate your way out of it and and sometimes into a better spot and and then you got to this the apple of the world which is like the final boss you had to beat and you, you got in and it was great. And, and then to your point, you got there and you're on top of the mountain and it's not yet. And, and I mean, it would be really easy with the success you'd had to that point to, you know, to go halfway back down that mountain and try again and figure out what about that peak didn't satisfy what was going on and you needed to get to this peak or whatever, however you want to talk about it. But I can see from, you know, what you've done since then, it's, it's been a different tact for you altogether. Um, Mm -hmm. When you're looking for those, what about that point in your life made you understand that just trying it again and trying to get to a different peak, so to speak, wasn't going to be it. Mm, That's uh, yeah. Well, that's funny because I think that I would say that from 2007, so I didn't take that long to fall into a pretty tough place. It, um, so from 2007, I'd say to 2009, I probably just kind of like banged around doing whatever it is, d- doing it the way I was doing it, but it was starting to, bleh. but then from 2009, let's say to 2000, late 2011 it was like fucking i was i was like it was it was blown apart like i actually this is kind of embarrassing but i'll say it is like i even got to a point where apparently and i don't remember this i phoned a few people and told them to forget i even lived and i was like wow that's they're like he's like do you remember that call when you when you told me that to tell i'm like fuck no like i was gone man like it if it wasn't for my two newfoundland dogs uh, I would be dead. There's just no, I, I know I would have just fucking stoved it up a cliff cause I'm a little bit of a doer. And I was like, these dog, these dogs don't deserve it. I know that may sound a little bit fucking weird. I don't give a shit. It's like everybody else in the world, nothing mattered except they, no one was going to love them the way I loved them. So I'm like, I ain't doing it. 
I tried to figure out a way to kill all three of us, but that was too risky. So <laughs> you don't want to survive that suicide attempt and have two Newfoundlands dead. Then you get a whole different fucking set of fucking anyway. So I can get a little dark sometimes, but um, yeah. So then it was, it was actually, uh, so you, I think you asked what changed the course. Basically it was like, okay, I kept on trying to do what I was doing. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it was, so I did, I moved into Victoria cause I was living out, I was kind of living isolated out on the circ break. And then I moved into Victoria and it was like, oh fuck. Well, okay. At least if I move into the city, I'll get, you know, well, that made it worse. Cause apparently making contact with people and living in a city are two different things. And, um, and so then I was like, holy shit, I'm really fucked now. And it was just really depressing. I was really depressed, really like couldn't, I was trying everything I knew how to do, writing gratitude lists and shit in the morning and just like kind of hanging on, um, really hanging on and uh, not kind of just hanging on. And then, um, I'd been, I'd done therapy when I was younger um, cause I, I had the money and I thought I, it's just interesting for me to, 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 to always grow, to learn and to always look at my, my part in it has been something that's very innate for me. So what am I doing in this whole thing, which I think is very, I'm very fortunate about. Um, and, and it also gets really painful when I realize how much I've been victimizing myself, but that's a whole nother story that, and, um, so I ended up, doing i'd done a program at this place called the haven on gabriola and then i'd I'd become connected to the two it's kind of weird but the two founders we kind of had a personal connection and um and i did a course with them in 2007 and in 2000 so i kind of stayed in touch with them i wrote them an email in 2011 and said i'm fucked and they said uh they, I said, I, do you have any suggestions? And then they they had retired at that point, but on this place at the Haven on Gabriella, they had like month long programs, and they suggested that I go do. Uh, I always remember the response from them because there's two of them, and they said we went into different rooms, we both thought about it, and we both came back with the same answer: do this program at the Haven called Phase One, starting I think it was uh, January fifth or something like that, and I would say that's the first time in my life that I just went, okay, fuck it, I give up. Like whatever I'm doing, help. Like to the universe, help. I'm fucked. So to say I went that that switch that was about 2007 to 2012. So that that just speaks to my stubbornness and will um, of trying to figure it out my own way, you know. And uh, then I went and did that course, and I would say that that's the first time that I just was like really fighting for my fucking life and just like no bullshit no trying to outsmart anybody no trying to whenever i've done therapy i've always been really good i've always been willing when i say really good i mean i've i realize that if i'm paying someone to help me me trying to outsmart them is fucking pretty stupid so i whenever i've done courses and things i've usually surrendered to the course and gone okay i'm gonna make up my mind after and that one i not only surrendered i went for it like i just was saying everything and anything that was going on inside because it wasn't good um I got a spe- special flavor of self-hate that uh, I would say isn't isn't uh, mean. I'd say it's more um, violent. The the shit that I can do to myself inside, um, on on like I can do self-violence. So if that thing that mechanism runs, it's not its intentions are not kind towards me. So, well, and it's, yeah. it's- it's interesting throughout your career and where a lot of your successes come is because you're very 
appear to be very willing to have you know personal relationships and and you're you're welcoming with people into your life throughout all of the the different you know sponsorships the the forum crew and mac dog and all those things and you bring these people in and and you're doing different things and you're helping them and they're helping you and you've achieved this success and then you go to therapy where that guard is natural when people start digging in but again in that you realized very early that unless i i surrender to this and and still like you said make up your mind after you didn't wash or absolve yourself of that completely you just said i'm going to do that later and you were able to make some of these leaps and some of these jumps and i can see in your voice like or in your face like sometimes you you say something that's like dark but you're smiling because it's like this realization that you had you you allowed yourself to get there um is that is that something is that just who sean is or is that a culmination of all these successes all these hard times coming together and you just knowing there needs to be a better way for you so you're going to figure out how to get there hmm. I, I i'm a little unclear on the question about so when you when i heard you say i'm saying something dark but i'm smiling there's two things going on there one for me is is uh uh one of the th- there's two things one is yeah i'm i'm uh sometimes i'm smiling because i'm so happy that i kind of can look at that and and that can actually realize I'm not there, or even have awareness of it. The other times, the the other thing that's got me questioning about this question is, am I smiling because I'm hiding? Because I'm really good at that too. Do you know, so, like, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, that, like so, that make does that make sense? Like, I mean, I live in this shit, so some of this stuff might be a little bit weird and deep. But I'm constantly asking myself, what am I up to? Because yeah, I want to be in connection with you and be available to you. So yeah, and that, that wasn't the, the, the second part wasn't, I wasn't asking that. I just, it's for somebody who's had the success you had, sometimes it can be hard to fully surrender those things because. Oh yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so this time you did and you, but you didn't absolve yourself of having to come to terms with it. You just said, I'm going to do it later. And then today I'm going to do this. And so when the dark part come up and you smile about it, you're like, man, I was there. I had yeah. to do this hard thing and then I did it and here I am. And, and that was more, what I was looking to, to yeah, talk about there. yeah, the 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 that's really the, man. I, I that's a that's a gift somehow that I've had, and maybe skateboarding. So I'm starting to learn more and more that skateboarding gave me so much more, and then then I'm I'm still learning. And one of them is that to be a good skateboarder, or or even snowboarder, or anything you gotta you gotta learn how to take criticism. Otherwise, you're not going to get better. And so you're and and it often came in the form of not such nice criticism of skateboarding and and it really you think about it if a person's criticizing your skateboarding that's your movement that's your body that's everything a style style to me is everything so a person's style so someone says all that holy fuck so i kind of learned how to um that that was kind of innately in my body a good thing to take feedback um and uh sometimes and and I would I would say I'm not great at it all the time, but fuck when when it came yeah I could just let go of that fucking ego shit when it when I knew what I was in into doing like um, like dropping into a personal growth course let's say or going to see a therapist or something drop the fuck in like meaning go and mean show up but then let go because the whole point I'm here is I'm trying to get help seeing something I might not be seeing um and. 
man, when someone shines a light on the shit I really didn't want to look at, that's when the walls start stacking, right? But then at the same time, just this willingness. And that's the thing, the feedback I've always gotten from the therapists and people who have stuck with me through my shit. They've, I said, when I've come out the other side and learned something, I don't have it all figured out, but when I've learned something, I'm like, fuck, man, how did you do it? They're like, well, you were willing. We could see that you, I saw that you were willing. Um, I don't know how that looks still, uh, except I was willing. Um, and and that that's a huge part of that stuff. Just And I think the important part there is how did I know at the end I could actually always bring myself back, you know, bring myself back, compartmentalize and kind of sort out what I believe and what I don't believe. Um, fuck yeah. That, I mean, that just makes the whole, I think I learned that from skateboarding too, or snowboarding. You just drop in, just go, yeah. fully that's, let go. That's where I was in my head. I'm like, when you drop in on a 14 foot vert ramp or you, you peel off the double block diamond to go into the back country, like you're, you're dropped in, you're committed. You got to see it through till the end. And that you took that mentality and put it in the therapy, right? Well, it's funny, man, because this is what, this is going to sound really weird, but I, I, I've been, as you've seen that list I sent you, I've been in a lot of rooms with a lot of people. So and I, I'm, I'm more interested, I'm less interested in theory and I'm more interested in data and, uh, and what people have seen. So, um, and one of the things I'd say I've seen is that a lot of people are, are tr trying to have this experience of just letting go, which is by the way, letting go of your thoughts, right? So what, and I'm like, well, fuck, I've learned that on a body level. Like I've, I've dropped in, like I, you don't just go up to a vert ramp one day and drop in, spend years committed, fully committed to skateboarding. And then eventually one day a vert ramp to those who don't know what that is, the top two feet are vertical for the most part. Well, that's a free fall. So basically dropping in on a vert ramp, you step into <laughs> drop, you put your front foot on the front of your skateboard, the back foot on the back foot, and you fully fucking let go for the first two feet because you're air falling. So innately in my body, I know that if I've done my work and I've done my practice, I know I'm going to be okay uh, once I hit the transition and can start feeling my body again. So this is what I would say I've seen more in circles and groups and anything is people just actually trying to learn to let go to fully just let go. Um, and I think skateboarders, snowboarders, surfers, a lot of people who do these kinds of sports and things, even I think jujitsu or all these other sports, uh, having a physicalization of a letting go is actually probably one of the most important things that's gotten me through my life. Um, and then what I think you said is that I put it together in my head. Well, I didn't do that till later, you know, it's like, uh, but so in those programs I would always go to, people would say, man, you just have a way of showing up in a fucking way. I'm like, well, I'm just fucking dropping in, yeah. you know, some, sometimes to my detriment. <laughs> so, so it's interesting that you mentioned the list that you sent. And I, I, we were talking about it earlier. Like I went through there and there is an incredible array of, of different, you know, I, I'm not going to say self-help because not all of them are self-help, but it's like you, you were, putting the work in it shows you clearly weren't afraid i think i i counted like 58 different um events <laughs> i quit counting at 2000 hours which like i said is a full-time job so for one year you were putting this work in on yourself some of them are 20 hours some of them are 160 and and there's there's so much in there that 
you, you were clearly getting something out of it because you kept going back and trying different things and and looking at different avenues of of how you're going to you know help yourself help your brain help the noise get to a manageable level when you're in that is is there an awareness of it or is it just every little morsel that you find leaves you hungry to find the next one mm, um well let's see if you look at that list it, it from 2012 like i said i took that first program and that's um and it's like and from 2012 on and what happened is as luckily for me all those programs, every single one, not one of them is theory. Everyone's experiential. So fucking dropped in. You're in. Like, here we go. I'm in a circle full of fucking people. One person's talking at a time. It's vulnerable as fuck. And by the way, I'm here for a month, you know, and living on properties and things. So um, for me, what ended up happening was I was lucky enough that there was somewhat of a educational part. The, the Haven on Gabriola had a post-secondary kind of education part to it where you could actually start helping out in the program. You still had to pay. You're paying like you're going to school, but then you became like what's called an intern. And um, so, and that's where the learning even gets better because they're, the, the, I've traveled around. So I had the money, like all the, all the success I had prior, I basically went, uh, I don't know what's going on, but this is it. This is this is what I need to be doing. I need to keep coming back here. And I guess my commitment stuff around skateboarding and surfing and all that kind of stuff, really for me, fulfillment is success, not not financial success. Well, I, I was getting fulfilled here. I didn't know what it and and there was no the diploma they offer there is actually it's probably the hardest to get and the least recognized. So it's really fucking right up my alley, right? Like totally. They're they're the the programs that they like I said I've traveled to a bunch of different centers I've done I've done lots of, as you can see in there I've done lots of trainings in the psychedelic world I did the first like the the MDMA trainings up here with all that like uh, I've done all the like I've done a lot of that stuff the ketamine trainings and 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 the five meo and all that I did that after I'd done all this other stuff and I I'd, I'd easily say that the programs that they offer at the Haven are by far the the deepest, the they offer the most support after they have a community, um, and the training is on another level because we're in. We lead a program like right now. I'm going to lead a program on or be part of leading a program. Linda's leading it, my friend Linda, and I'm assisting it. She's, um, I'm. We meet four times, so the program is full on, like from nine and it actually, if you want to count meals, there it's from eight in the morning till basically ten at night. And everybody's in program and it's kind of like a circle and everybody, it's all experiential. And then we meet four times a day. And in those four times a day, we're getting, we're, we're expected to process and move. So I've been in those rooms for years of getting, having highly trained people uh, holding you able to show up and have whatever there is. And man, there's no deeper, I'm so blessed to have had that learning because I've undone a lot of the shit that gets me in trouble with myself and still will. So. The, the, I can't remember your original question, except the, the, the be, being a part, being a uh, learning in it or being a part of a post secondary or whatever, getting something from it has also been huge part of it. So I've been able to contribute at the same time as learn and understand those are the same things. There's no great Sean Curran's got it all figured out. I'm blessed to step in this room on Sunday with 
30 plus people who I'm going to fucking learn a lot about and going to learn more about myself. So I don't know if that answers your question or, oh, the, <laughs> I guess what you asked me was what kept it going, that what kept the, so I was actually thinking about this today and I say this to people, they go, what, what's up for you in these circles? Like what's up, what, you know, what's up with these? And so if you go back into my snowboarding and skateboarding and surfing stuff, I mean, <laughs> I, I've, I've been in situations in those fields that most people don't ever like I've fucking, I got stories from, from, from guides dying to being in helicopters with the world's best pilots, uh, doing the most hectic fucking shit when no one's looking to being with the best snowboarders in the world and filming them. Like there's not, I mean, are you fucking kidding me? Me and a photographer and four of the best snowboarders in the world progressing snowboard snowboarding for 10 years like and unlimited budget so i've experienced some pretty fucking awesome stuff um and then i can tell you right now the most uh by f the, the most powerful beautiful experiences ever incredible experience have been in circles with people and it far it, it all that uh, don't get me wrong that stuff's great but I've, uh, for me now, at this point in my life, being in circles with people who are willing to show up without medicine, without drugs, um, with people who are willing to actually understand that each and every person's experience is in and of itself unique. Uh, fuck, man, something happens. I've seen walls move. Like, it's a, it's a trip. And so I guess there's a part of me that maybe in my addiction cycle or whatever it's called that part of me that's I, I i think addiction and passion often get confused my passion side is i'm just like i need more of this like this is this is it this is what i'm built for this is where i want to be yeah but it's so. the, there's two specific things in your in that list that i wanted to ask you about one of them just and you touched on it a little bit i think uh is the ayahuasca retreat or the ayahuasca work in 2016 and the other one is the sexual intelligence one. Oh, yeah. That's not, you know, people talk about emotional intelligence and all these different things and they're kind of treated as though like people are the enlightened people will tell you about your emotional intelligence. But I've never heard anybody talk about sexual intelligence and how that is <laughs> applicable to, to people that are coming in and looking for help with things. Can you talk a little bit about those two? Yeah. Um Sure. Which one first? Let's let's go with ayahuasca first. Okay. Sure. Um. So basically, that one was. Uh, Esalen is another institute in in California that's kind of like the original big institute. It's really cool. There's a really cool history, and it's basically all based around the human potential movement. So like Maslow hierarchy of needs. I don't know if you're familiar with any of that, but like Gestalt, Fritz Perls, Rolfing, um, all these different techniques of like. Um, that are basically nil void of Western Western medicines and whatever restrictions. Um, I don't know if that's a good description. Anyway, I was doing, I was leading a course down there with Linda, assisting a course, and then um, she said, "Oh, I'm going to do this stuff with Maps. Are you familiar with Maps? Maps is like um, the multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies. They're the ones that are moving all the legalization forward, and they're based out of Vancouver. And she's like, a bunch of people from that are going to do this, and would you? I oh yeah, I'd come." So I went and did um, – so that one was unique in and of itself because it was more people who were like uh, – so there was a doctor there. There was an intuitive. There was a shaman. There was some highly trained 
people and they were also pushing limits as far as like so um so that just started my journey into let's say the mixing my whatever trainings and learnings i've had to then get mixed into the oh and then there's these tools as well there's these medicines there's these things um and what did you want to know about that? Because that led down. I mean, that, that, I got some pretty fucking funny stories about that shit. But anyway, um, do you want to know specifically about my thoughts on it, or where it led to, or? Well, yeah, I guess I guess what I'm asking is your thoughts on it because you've done, and you mentioned you did a lot of this work. That's not. There's nothing other than just the interaction of the group, the people in there, their commitments to that group, and sharing. And then to introduce something like psychedelics or ayahuasca ketamine, you talked about um, what, what's different about that. How does that change the dynamic of that? Because there's a lot of stuff in that list that had no supplement, I guess I'll say. And, and then yes, this one yeah. did. So, so I'm curious the differences between there and what you what you see and take away from those. Yeah. So, so basically, um, you know, once again, I think I said that I'm really interested in experience. And what people, what I see from, so these people at the Haven for, I don't want to keep talking Haven, Haven, because really the most important thing was they were just kind of like an investigation center for me. They did great stuff and they taught me great things and I learned, but, but more importantly to me was what did I see? Cause like, it's kind of, I got that from skateboarding. What do I see? What's actually happening? Cause that's the proof, not, not the statisticy kind of stuff, but more like what's happening. So what I, what I saw a lot of was a lot of people would end up at the Haven who'd done 50, 60, 70 ayahuasca journeys and a lot of journeying, journeying, journeying. And, um, and even when I went and did the first journeying, when I remember thinking to myself, fuck, these guys could really go spend some time at the Haven because the Haven was more of a school for humanity. There's basic things that are important for humans to know, like anger is a natural human emotion. Um, Sadness is a natural human emotion. Uh, grieving is very important part of our process. So when I went into first, when I went into that stuff, I was like, okay, there's some, I could see some openings and stuff here, but even, um, well, even, even Linda and I, so I want to be clear that wasn't sanctioned by maps. It was just, there was some people that were there. So it wasn't a sanctioned maps thing. It was just a, there was some people that were, that were involved in legalization of the stuff. And even right off the bat, Linda and I, we, well, she, especially there was some stuff happening in the circle and we actually jumped in and kind of like got involved and helped the person. Cause it was like the, 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 cause we had training in this stuff, like, person's going through something and they might need physicalization of it, something. So we very much got involved. So I think that, um, I think that whole psychedelic thing for me, uh, from what I can tell and my experience of it is, um, uh, to offer someone an, another, uh, viewpoint of like another consciousness something but not not encourage a couple things like one like um the the awareness of integration meaning um how how okay you've had this big opening you see how the universe is now you're just going to jump back into your fucking phone and start start re reprogramming well now it's worse right so right, yeah so even even at that retreat, they're like, we request that you stay after your electronics for like the end of the week. I'm like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, 
I just saw a whole new planet. Like, what the fuck? And now I'm going to go back into Insta shit and start reprogramming. But except now, now I'm open. Now I've, now I've, now it's worse because before I thought the shit was just the shit. Now I realize there's this whole other universe and potential. And then I'm going back in. So I, I really have, I guess this is all for myself. I'm not against screens. I'm not against phones. I'm not against, I'm against unconscious. I'm, I'm not against, I'm, I think it's really important that how uh, that and also, um, you know, how being mindful of how I re-enter the world. And then there's this other thing that a lot of people don't like even the sound of, but it's called my only, my belief is, and I, I don't strive towards this, I'm working, but it's called self-responsibility is the only way that I have found a, a, a true path to freedom, meaning what's my part in this? What have, and now that's really fucking tough when we've been taught that there's a right and wrong, a good and a bad. So for me even to go, what what's my part in this? Well, usually that leads to I'm bad <laughs> versus, well, no, wait, what was my part? Okay, I'm not perfect, but what was my, oh, I could have done this. And sometimes it's pretty shitty what I've done and my part in it. So. Yeah. When these people show up, and we're showing up at the Haven, a lot of people who've done all these journeys, who've done more fucking journeys than, you know, uh, I'm like, holy fuck, man, uh, they should have stayed in the jungle. But then they've had to come back and, you know, because really, I think I think the Shipibo are fucking great. Like the shit that those fuckers, like, I don't know if you know anything about the Shipibo, they're fucking crazy motherfuckers. And they're, they're all these shaman down there and they're nuts, like in, in Peru, because they're not nuts. They're willing to look at what's really going on because what's really going on is the shit in our head that's crazy. But then, but then they support you by being in the jungle and all this and you're supposed to be in the jungle. You don't get shot out into a fucking plane heading back to Canada looking at Insta shit. You know, it's like, okay. So that's the, that's my, um, my, my, basically to, to do therapy to get back to normal is the insanity, is, is insanity in and of itself. Like I have no business fucking with people who want to get back to normal because I've never even lived normal. Um, yeah. whatever that is. So that's my, um, now to be in a, I'm not saying the haven or circles have end all be all, but yes, to be in the presence of other people who are willing to take responsibility for themselves, be curious about themselves and have the courage to be curious about others and not make it about them. That is the most powerful shit I've found. Um, and I, you know, you can go to an NA meeting and find more honesty or an AA meeting or any of that stuff. You can find more honesty in that room than fucking then you know for free then what's going on probably in the in the planet like get your mind blown by people saying what's actually going on which i think is 90 percent of the battle so yeah i don't know if that answered your question i'm i'm kind of sorting that stuff out in my mind right now <laughs> but yeah well i, I think kidding. i think that's part of it though is is it's not um it's a dynamic thing right it's not uh a one and done you, you have to keep probing and pushing and i i've never been a part of it i i'm friends with a guy who has and um he's he's constantly talking about how he's on the journey even though he's you know it's not like it's not a finite thing and mm -hmm. and that's what i'm taking from your from your take as well I, i'm a little curious about the sexual intelligence course yeah um, about what what that entails i feel like you know i have a, have a 12 year old daughter and and my views on how we 
not just the sexualization of, but like just like how the the word consent can mean ten different things to ten different people. As a father of a young girl, I that frightens me. So the thought that there's people out there trying to put some intelligence and some some rational um, reasoning into teaching people about it, even if they don't get exposed to it until they're adults, I mean, better late than never, right? Hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I'm. I'm. I appreciate you asking the question, and yeah, man. I mean, it's so funny because the first time, the first time I ever was in one of these circles. Luckily for me, the the founder of the guy who created this circle was like, okay, well, how do we get right to the shit? You know, how do we get? How do we cut right through it? Well, I mean, there's good business in keeping us sick about sex, death, <laughs> and and you know, it's like it's like you know, keep us scared of that shit. That's good business. So sexuality is actually sex, sexuality. So there's a difference right there. There's sex, the act of, which is, you know, I believe there's a programming around like shame and guilt and gross and fear and to hide. And then there's sexuality, which is, this is what everything comes down to for me is what is my relationship to anything? What's my relationship to sexuality, even the word sex, whatever. So when I was sitting in a circle the first time and they were like, okay, so what's your relationship to the word sex? And they had this, they had this part of the program called sex and ID, meaning sex and identification because it did cut right to the bone. Right. So, um, <laughs> I, can't I just said that anyway. So, uh, Freud, eh? he's always in the house. So anyway, <laughs> Basically, uh, you know, and once I, I, I said this to you earlier, I was really going for it in these courses. So they were, okay, what's your relationship to the word sex? Like, what's your, what's your, what, what, where are you at with that? And honestly, what I said into the circle, which was the most truth was my, when, when someone says sex to me or sexuality to me, and this is when I'm 43 fucking years old or something like that. I'm like, here's my, here's my understanding of it. <laughs> <laughs> like that really is, you know, I mean, I knew how to do all the things that a man was supposed to do because I, you know, training through fucking programming and the internet and all this shit. But what, like when you talk about my, what's my relationship it was like, <laughs> so basically very young, very um, duh, scared, almost like almost having to laugh at it. Cause it's so uncomfortable. Um, and then luckily for me, I came across a group of people who understood that, that this is, this is, they, they, they call themselves sex positive versus sex negative, meaning let's just have a talk about it, right? Like, let's talk about it. Let's, and then, um, and how sacred of an energy sexuality is and how actually pleasure, I mean, how fucked is that, that in our bodies, there's a pleasure center, sexuality, whatever. And there's actually an access to a disembodied, almost like a higher consciousness, a peak experience, but there's all the shame around it. That's good business. Hell yeah. <laughs> all a business model. Keep yeah. you sick. Yeah. And, um, and I'm really glad you're asking me. I'm really glad you're telling me. I mean, you got a 12-year-old daughter, 14-year-old son too. It's like, holy shit. So, so basically, there's a lot of shame around it. Don't talk about it. Um, embarrassing, whatever. So that's the first thing I learned is it's actually very normal that there is a lot of shame and it's programmed. And and um, the part that I am really 
sad about is, I mean, when I was young, we came across like a Playboy magazine and that would last us for years, you know, and, do, and just trying to figure it out. No one would even talk about them. But now with porn and everything like that, I'm like, Jesus Christ, what does a kid do? What the fuck messages are they getting? It's not good, you know, um, what's out there. And so to take what I learned is that um, my relationship to my sexuality will lead to a lot of the things I cause a lot of problems in myself for or with in my life. So it's like um, to have a sexual intelligence of even like to, to I'll give you an example of, I mean, God bless these people are doing these courses because it's just, you know, you know, that's evil shit. Right. And, Anybody who has ever done anything good in the planet, as far as I'm concerned, usually gets hit with a sexual fucking harassment suit at some point or something because it's just a great way to take someone down. Whereas a lot of that stuff is is just fucking used. I don't know. I don't want to go. That's almost getting political. So, but I'll give you an example of one of the things around sexuality was um, in one of these programs, they actually offered that you could do a... a an inventory of your sexual experiences your whole life. Okay. And then, and then write it down, just write it down for you, whatever you, you spend a night writing this big fucking list or small list or whatever it is. Um, and, and, and your experience of it. Okay. And then to have the opportunity, if you want to stand in the center of a circle and read this to a, a circle of people, the in-depth, the abortions, the, greasiness of it the whacking off all this shit right like all this stuff that i probably just think i'm just this dirty evil piece of shit for or whatever it is shame guilt whatever or that i've been victimized or whatever to read this to us to a group of people and then to have the opportunity to look in everybody's eyes and see what they see to see what i see well that's very that's a very rare opportunity because what i thought is that i'm an evil person for having all the stuff, the Catholic church narrative, all that stuff. But actually what I see is I see love, caring and compassion in people's eyes after I just told them the most vulnerable, sick shit that I think, whatever it is, because it just has had this programming. So I don't know if that answers, but then to have that experience to look in people's eyes and be like, holy shit, like I'm, I mean, I'm not bad for having these thoughts and I'm not bad for having these things and, or I didn't even know better or whatever, like, and to see compassion is that's way more powerful than any ayahuasca ceremony or any of that shit to be looking in real time in people's eyes and being like, what do you see? And then to be able to ask them questions. What do you think of me now after I just told you this to look a beautiful woman in the eyes in the circle who I might be attracted to or something and be like, what do you think? And she's just like, fuck, that's really cool. And I fucking, I'm really glad you said that because I got a lot of that too. And I'm not feeling so lonely right now. It's like, holy fuck. Yeah. And that's like the perfect way to, to summarize society's clumsiness with that, with that is the way you kind of tried to drive your point home was you mentioned the beautiful woman who you might be attracted to and you just turned your soul to. And that's how we think of it, right? It's like if there was somebody who you found unattractive or whatever, somebody with a handicap that made sex too difficult to imagine with them or something about it. You, it doesn't drive your point home as saying, nope, the 12 out of 10 rocket heard me talk about jerking off and she didn't judge me for it. And, and that. Did you me, say 12 out of 10 rocket? Yeah. 
<laughs> but that's like you know what I mean. Like that's yeah, that, that summarizes the clumsiness of that whole thing. That guys that are like my age and they're trying to talk to girls that are my daughter's age, and 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 then I know for a fact that you know a full third of the dudes that she's going to run into are getting their birds and the bees from Pornhub, and Dude. we're trying to make all this sense of all this, and it's like. <laughs> It just, it all makes sense to me now. I don't oh, know how to fix it, but it makes sense. No, and then, and then, I mean, even the, even the, um, the, the conversation around sexuality, like that it's, that it's a thing. Like, I like the term sexuality versus sex. Sex in and of itself is just, it's pretty funny. It's a pretty fucking immature, uh, like I, well, I mean, there, I just told you my, my, my relationship to it was, <laughs> you know, and now it's very different. It's very, um, uh, yeah, like, fuck, I mean, the amount of suffering that I've caused myself and others, I think, by just being in this role of what I thought I was supposed to be versus what I actually want and what I wanted. Um, and the, like, I was just thinking about, uh, oh, yeah, that this is a weird one, but how, how I believe the most important thing in, let's say, the trauma world or anything like that is that when a person is actually telling someone something to just fucking listen. And after they talk, after, like, okay, if this is an, an example. A friend of mine's kid said to him the other day, he said, Dad, I think I'm lazy. And my friend said to his kid, he then reinforced all the ways he wasn't lazy to his kid, right? And now my friend's into this stuff and he knows I'm, I, I'm a bit of a fucking special case i'm like well actually did you actually hear what your son said because to me what your son said was when he's alone he tells himself he's lazy and what what i think the most important thing right now is that to, for people to learn that when someone tells someone something especially a kid to a parent say build a pause in there and say thank you for telling me so dad i think i'm lazy Oh, thank you for telling me that. In instead of instantly going into the fix of, well, you're not lazy because look at all the things you do. Um, so when it comes to talking about sexuality or any of these things, to say, thank you for telling me. that This is the most important thing I've learned to say those words when someone's telling me something. Thank you for telling me. And, not, and that creates the break between me making it uncomfortable about me. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, that's uh, I, I. I'm running a conversation in my head with one of my children. I'm watching your body. You're twitching and moving your arms. Oh. <laughs> yeah, dude. yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, well, it, well, it, well it, it's it's sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Did you want to say anything about that? Like, I think I just asked you. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, man. That's uh, I just I was gonna say. Well, that was more than what I bargained for on that question like that was a that was a, a sincere moment of self-reflection for mm -hmm. me in that mm -hmm. in that answer well that that yeah so so here's my my next little gem i thought of that i wanted to share with and you can you can so the, the you know um the the thing i think that could be the most important thing a person could do these days when they think of this thing about screens we're kind of staring into a screen. I think the most important thing, so I'm thinking about you even like you were moving when I told you that stuff and you're thinking about a conversation. Most important thing I think a human being could do right now is every morning, stare yourself in the mirror, 
ask yourself where you're at. And I'm not going to bullshit you and pull this. Oh, I love you, Sean. You're the great Sean. Fucking go out there, bro. Sometimes it's like, you're a piece of shit. I don't like you. Sometimes it's really bad. Sometimes it's medium. Sometimes it's like, I love this guy. But then to go, and today my intention is to be a little bit kinder because I don't want you to be perfect. I don't want you to be perfect. There's no such thing as perfect and I don't want you to be perfect. So uh, you can make mistakes and you know what to do now when you catch. So even you twitching in your body and stuff and thinking of conversations when you've been told, dude, guess what? You fuck being perfect, man. You're not perfect. No one told you don't want to be perfect, but what an opportunity you might have now to maybe go to one of your kids and be like, Hey, when you, I'm kind of learning this thing about listening now. And I think I kind of missed you on that thing. And tell me more about that. Like, that's a cool fucking opportunity in life to be like, to model to your kids imperfection, wouldn't you say? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's like the most vulnerable thing you can do, especially for a, a young boy looking up to his dad. The, the pressure f- to, to be more than you really are to that boy is is immense, right? Yeah. And to model to, to, to Liam that maybe the world is a tough place and it's not perfect and or sorry, it's not easy. And yes, sometimes it's a really hard thing. I believe you do got to stand up sometimes. And, and even though this might not be the right decision, I'm making this decision at the same time model. How do you model vulnerability and say, yeah, man, fucking is, I don't, I'm not perfect, man. I don't want you to think I'm a perfect dad, but what a great thing to model to your kid is not trying to strive to be perfect because yeah. fuck no such thing. So Definitely not. So want to be cognizant of your time here today, Sean. I mean, we've been an hour and a half and uh, it's twice as long um, as I usually go. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not cutting any of it because uh, so much of the first part talking about the success sets up the second part talking about um, how you navigate that success at, at such an early age relative um to, to the rest of your life. Um, but I, I do, and, and you made a comment in, in the emailing back and forth where I said, I like to ask people about their idea of success. And, and you said the answers in the question. And I was like, oh, I give you one of those guys, is he? And then as we talked through it, it's like, there's never one answer to a question for you. you your points of view are too disparate and, and too plentiful for you to ever just have one idea on an answer because you've seen things from so many different points of view in your life. And I'm not saying you've seen them all. I'm seeing you've seen more than the usual person that I talk to. Mm-hmm. So, so what, what is your idea? What's your vision of success? What does it look like to you today? And how is it different from when you started? Yeah, well, it's cool because this is one where you might actually get one solid answer. Because when I, I did, I remember writing back in the email and it was interesting because <clears throat> so, so, definition of success is as soon as someone else is defining that for me, I'm fucked. So that's what I meant by when you said, what's your debt? I'm like, the answers to the question is, so for me, success um, is, and it goes back to my initial, when I, when I talked about commitment and goals, I want to support myself doing what I love to do. Well, what I realize now I could write two books about the last 10 years of my life. I could look, I could write the one that I thought was happening and the one that I've learned is hap- that was happening. And they're two different, completely different stories because they all, it all had to happen. Um, but the thing about success is, so if my overriding 
thing that has kept me on this path that I consider to be a pretty interesting life is I want to support myself doing what I love to do. Well, I wasn't supporting myself anymore uh, at to a certain point because I, I, I skateboarding, snowboarding, surfing weren't filling it. And it was like, actually, I want connection. I, I want all these things I didn't even know I wanted. I mean, I had a story that I hated people and I seated a skateboard the rest of my life and surf and people bugged me. And, um, and, uh, I, I was like, so, so success for me is fulfillment and, and fulfillment means like, you know, looking at all these different parts of my life and let's, I call it the, the, well, Paul Check said this to me, he's a guy I trained with in the States and worked with and he, and he's like, most people don't read the, the owner's manual. So if the owner's manual is hydration, connection, how my brain works, all these different basically things that are pretty basic, fundamental human things that, and fulfillment is like now for me is if all those are at about five, that's pretty good. Meaning like my spirituality, my connection with people, I'm aiming for five these days, whereas I used to aim for 10. So I'm aiming for the middle road, which is a very, so fulfillment for me is balance, um, this, 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 uh, I'm not going to be covering tattoos until I need to r run out and go take over the world and jump in cold showers 15 times. They like, I actually do believe in balance. I actually want to rest as I'm getting older. So, um, and, uh, yeah, success for me is, uh, being happy with where I'm at, pulling myself back to center. I know how to do that now. I get, I'm getting better at it. I need other people to do it. Uh, this thing about learning to trust, trusting myself that when I feel too far out, like last night I called a friend and I was like, fuck man, I'm, I'm starting to spin out on, I'm not good enough right now. And I just called him way before it got out of control, you know, cause it, that shit get out of control with me. And I did. And that was all it took was a five minute conversation. I said, Hey, I'm starting to go down this old road. I used to go down. So, um, it's an ongoing thing. It's moving. Um, Fulfillment is moving for me. It's not a stuck, fixed thing. And it's how um, I just seem to be getting better at having the relationships with all the different parts of me running, if that makes any sense. So, um, yeah, that's it. It's like, well, actually, it's funny, rich. So, the word rich is coming up. I'll answer this right now. If I am ever, someone else is ever, if I'm looking for anybody or anything else to define what rich is to me, then I'm fucked. Because... I learned that uh, uh, rich is something that happens inside of me. Rich, I'm feeling rich. I feel rich, and if I if it's if it's to do with money and and external things, then that's I'm looking in the wrong place. Um, and I'm rich in experience in my life more than more than more than anybody I've met actually uh, in in range. And I'm not saying that to be arrogant, man. Fuck, I've <laughs> done a lot of different shit, man, and. Um, and so that's that's it. Like fulfill or rich success for me is when I'm defining what rich is for me inside of me, and that I'm actually believing it. Super cool podcast with Sean Cairns. I mean, that guy has done it all, seen it all. Um, the work he's put into himself over the last ten years. He sent me the list of of the courses and classes that he's taken, and it's over twenty two hundred hours of time he's put in to himself to to learning more about who he is and why he does the things he does, did the things he did and is going to do the things he's going to do. And I think anybody with that level of success, with that much of a profile in your chosen profession or your chosen vocation to be able to sit back and put that much work 
into yourself shows a level of self-awareness that's just not common enough in this world and i think that's what i took away mostly from sean's story the highs the lows i mean they're great they're out there lots of people have them not everybody comes back and looks in the mirror and says okay if i don't like what i see there's only one person who can change it and i think that's what i took from sean's story it's just so much fun to be back into 2023 sharing these stories with you guys um sean karen's is just a a, a example of what we've got coming up we've got a couple uh with clint malarchuk uh, a former nhl goalie who's now a, a coach and, and an inspirational uh speaker um we've got mark heisey uh who founder of rebellion brewing based out of regina we just got so many great ones lined up coming down the pike for you here in 2023 uh don't forget to go check us out on instagram we're doing an engagement uh, experiment over there we're trying to get our numbers up a little bit we got some surprises coming with what we're going to do if those numbers go through the roof which we're hoping and uh we're approaching our 100th episode which uh is something that we're taking seriously we never thought we'd get there so we want to make sure it's uh worth our while when we do it so like we always say at the end of these there are no wrong answers and no test at the end so make the most out of every day the second act podcast would like to thank ben sound for the intro and outro music happy rock that is www.bensound.com we'd also like to thank chin whiskers for the promotional consideration you can find them at your local Tommy Guns, Original Barbershop, Amazon, or chinwhiskers.ca. And we would also like to thank you for listening. Test the microphone. No mmm noise. You're an asshole.